Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are talking all about The Mandalorian, chapter, oh no, 14? 14. <laughs> 14. <laughs> chapter 14, The Tragedy, which was directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by John Favreau. Yeah. What do we think? How was the reaction to the title? Uh, you know, <laughs> it was uh, it was intense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was watching it at you know seven in the morning, and that title popped up, and I just kind of freaked out, and I was like, "This is it. He gets taken." <laughs> <laughs> There's something about the fact that the title was shown right in the beginning and that so the entire episode, you were kind of thinking about where's the tragedy, where's the dread, okay, this isn't going to end well, obviously, because it's mm. called the tragedy, but like where, what's going to happen? Um, I've actually heard some people, like including my parents, being like, well, the tragedy wasn't that bad. And I was what? like, "There's the separation, the separation. He was, he was kidnapped. He I was know. <laughs> Grogu napped. I know, but I think that. To that point, I think that my parents were like, someone's going to die, and no one died, you know? Yet. Yet, I know. We're not done. <laughs> we have two more episodes. <laughs> People need to we, – we are not done with this story yet, not even this season. Long-time listeners will know that something Keelan and I have said for years is that Star Wars is tragedy. We say it a lot. We have a button. We made a button for celebration. And so when I woke up really late on Friday – I had off Friday – to watch this episode, Caitlin was like, can I just tell you the title? I just need to tell you the title. I just need to tell you the title. And so I was like, no, I want to be surprised. I'm not going on the internet. Just stop. And so when it came up, the gasp that I let out, I texted her immediately. I was like, this is crazy. And it was honestly a little rude. You should have just let me tell you the title. No. Uh, <laughs> Miss, it wasn't I don't look at spoilers. It was just the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we've always said Star Wars is tragedy and in kind of the vein of like Greek tragedy and comedy, which is not the literal sense of tragedy, I think, as we tend to think it is. But this one was definitely uh, like exactly tragic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, I'm just saying, too, that at Star Wars Celebration last year, when Charlotte and I were in our Dave Filoni cosplay, Dave Filoni's assistant, actually, because we were we were at one of the panels um, and they had shown us like in the pre-show, they had shown our cosplay on the like big screen. And the guy who was like doing the hosting, he had come up and talked to us about our cosplay. And so after the panel was out, Dave Filoni's assistant who had been there, because uh, I think it was the Mandalorian panel or the Clone Wars one. The Clone Wars, yeah. It was she, the same day. Yeah. Yeah, they're the same day. She came and found us and was like, oh, can I take a picture? And um, she gave us buttons that Dave Filoni had signed. And she was like, Dave signed these for people who are dressed as him. And like, I've been handing them out. And so that was really great. And then we were like, can we give you our buttons? <laughs> and one of the buttons that we gave her uh, said Star Wars is Tragedy. So mayhaps it found its way <laughs> to Dave, <laughs> to Dave Filoni. Filoni's office <laughs> and was like oh yeah i've definitely never thought of this before <laughs> i'm gonna title this episode of mandalorian this i'm gonna suggest it our- to john <laughs> he has our button sitting like at his computer ah uh, yes <laughs> the-, the muse this button <laughs> yes it's ridiculous yes we thought about that it's yeah. fine <laughs> <laughs> that's that's who we are and uh yep <laughs> 
But what did you think of this episode overall? I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. It was very action-y, which sometimes I tend to zone out a little bit in the action scenes. But the first time I watched it, like there was a lot of things that were super cool and I was really intrigued. And I really liked Boba Fett in this episode. And overall, I really enjoyed it. And I liked Robert Rodriguez's directing. There were some things that I obviously like didn't love. Like I think that the, the tone of this episode was kind of strange. And I mean that more like it's weird that this was filmed in Southern California. And I honestly feel like I can feel that. And yeah. it also feels like th- it was filmed at like 2 p.m. during high sunlight, which isn't very arty. It isn't very, uh, I don't know. It felt a little toy boxy, which I know is the effect that they're going for. And in that respect, I, I do respect it. But it, it wasn't my favorite in terms of like uh, visuals and everything. I think last episode really uh, hit it out of the park for me with that. So c- coming from that last episode, The Jedi, to this one, it's a n- literally night and day, actually, <laughs> when it comes to lighting. So uh, that was a little bit of a, a jarring effect, I think. Yeah, I think that the, this episode really does have a funky tone to it. And it's kind of hard to pin down what exactly the tone of it is because I watched it twice now and the second time it came off almost more comedic to me and I don't know if that's just me (laughs) 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 or if it was meant to be that way and but yeah I think you're right that the the time of shooting and the very much California-ness of the set location it it just gave it, I don't, like a weird je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with filming in California. This has yeah. happened before in Return of the Jedi and the Redwood Forest. Like, I get it. But I, I just feel like there wasn't a lot of set decoration. It was just out in the field. And I know I've seen a lot of people compare it to like a fan filmy vibe. And I get that. Yeah. It's interesting because Robert Rodriguez, if you do any sort of digging into his film career, a lot of things that he talks about is that he's, number one, super into digital filmmaking, which I think is really neat. And it's always awesome to hear filmmakers who are really into that type of filmmaking. And it's probably obviously why his love for the prequel trilogy probably shined through throughout this episode. Like, hello, there were so many Attack of the Clones references. <laughs> and that was great. But I also think he's he has famously talked about how he can work with a low budget to make it look high budget. And I I think that I don't know if that's necessarily true for this episode, because I, I think we all know that the Mandalorian, their budgets are like 10 million an episode, which is crazy insane. But I do think that it was I can show you economy of storytelling. I can show you economy of sets and let's do it. You know, maybe that's the, the whole uh, pitch that he went with in terms of directing an episode. Um, I really enjoy, like I said, I really enjoyed his directing, but I think that definitely speaks to his style and what he brings to the table. Yeah, I think it's interesting bringing up the volume because so much of this was on location. So it feels like there was actually, this episode probably had the least amount of time at the volume than our other episodes. Even on the second watch, I was trying to think, I was like, okay, this is, I was even like, is the top of the, the Jedi Temple, is that at the volume? Yeah, I was. I'm not sure. Yeah. I feel like that looks like a set to me. It looks. It felt like a set, so but... setty, but it also could be totally set up in the desert in Southern California. I don't know. It wasn't like super elaborate, you know. 
Yeah, that's the thing. It's like they could have just CGI'd in the the big stones on the side. Yeah. And just had the one in the middle that was actually on location. Right. So, I don't know. It was um, – there is this – the 2 p.m., it's like I've never been so weirded out by the afternoon. <laughs> but. Yeah, you know, I I don't think that's necessarily bad. I recently watched um, Midsommar, which is a horror film that's set all during the daytime because it's set in a place where the sun never sets. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting challenge to create a horror movie where there's no darkness, which is, you know, pretty synonymous with horror movies. And I, I kind of wonder if there was a little bit of that obviously that that was a horror movie it's a great one by the way but if there was a little bit of that idea of like wouldn't it be crazy if we didn't do like something at sunset wouldn't it be crazy if we just really did like full lighting of 2 2 p.m and see how that affects the tone and that how that affects everything going forward because it was interesting i mean i don't i don't even think we see this type of lighting that much on tatooine it's always in between sunset sunrise and even a little hazy. I mean, I, I say that now, and maybe that's not so true for especially the Mandalorian, but it doesn't feel like it was like sunny skies all the time <laughs> in Tatooine, at least. It was like hazy. I think because like coupled with the blue sky and the the shrubbery yeah. too, it makes it feel different, whereas Tatooine has the blue sky and then the desert, mm-hmm. which we're kind of used to that more in Star Wars. The, the setting too of Tython is feels different too which is nice you know i'm glad to be seeing other types of planets slash southern california (laughs) it's funny because um when i was watching it again and they were arriving at tython you see the planet and i sent charlotte a video i go this looks like earth (laughs) (laughs) when you look at uh the razor crest arrive at tython you know they're still in space it it still kind of looks like earth (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And just at a very weird angle. So the continents kind of look off if you're used to looking at, um, what is it, the Mercator map, Mercator projection. It's kind of like they turned it 85 degree angles and centered like around Africa. But that could just be me. <laughs> but it was like they really are headed to California. <laughs> <laughs> there they go. There they go. And- you know, maybe there's nothing really wrong with that. It doesn't no. have to be super exotic in terms of location and locale, but it's just I can't really put my finger on and articulate super well, honestly, about why the setting felt kind of off to me. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm totally fine with it because I did enjoy the episode, but yeah. not my favorite setting. Yeah, I thought the I thought the episode was fun overall. I did really like the action in it, and certainly the first. Uh, viewing really kept me on my toes and even at the end when they were when Din was scaling the mountain for the last time because he does it a couple times (laughs) (laughs) and you see the dark troopers coming down I kept telling myself this is the tragedy the tragedy the tragedy the tragedy it's happening (laughs) I I was like I know he's gonna be taken except it Caitlin and it was still so hard to watch it Oh my gosh, that shot where Din looks up and he has the, I guess, like the heat tracking thing on his helmet and you just see the dark trooper and baby Yoda's just looking down at Din with his big ears. It was, so sad. It was, I think it's the saddest <laughs> shot I've seen of, of Grogu this entire series. <laughs> There's a lot of sad shots. I mean, when they grab him, the CGI ba- baby face, I feel like 
I, I feel like I'm just going to hammer this home. I swear the CGI baby is much cuter than the the puppet baby. And they know it because they used the CGI baby when, you know, he's supposed to look sad and forlorn and taken. And it worked because we're all like, oh, my God, that was really sad. What I was thinking is that I am convinced that they probably had to jerry-rig the puppet to get it to sit on the rock and that (laughs) you know it probably doesn't have a flat bottom necessarily or maybe it does at this point but I imagine there was probably a lot of precision on how to get the baby to sit on the rock and not fall over (laughs) yeah I bet no I bet there's like something underneath the rock that you can puppeteer it probably but I still feel like I imagine them just setting the baby on the rock and him just (laughs) tipping over (laughs) it was funny well caitlin why don't you take us through a summary of the episode then we can really dive in okay we'll go through the summary of the episode so uh first we have the really sweet scene with grogu and din on the razor crest we get to tython we go up the mountain at tython for the first time baby grogu is on the magic rock he's vibing there are blue butterflies <laughs> all around. <laughs> then Boba and Fennec arrive. Din goes up the mountain again. Fighting ensues as we get the Empire that also arrives. Fennec pushes a rock down and we have a bit of an Indiana Jones moment, which was kind of fun to see. Grogu stops vibing on the rock. <laughs> Boba Fett goes through his costume change. Fennec and Boba, uh, I'm sorry, Fennec and Din fight together. And then Boba arrives and saves the day. Din goes back up the mountain for the third time. Baby Grogu is snatched. And then we see Baby Grogu and uh, Gideon finally, like a lot, a good amount of Gideon screen time here at the end. In Baby Yoda shackles, which was really sad. And then we also have uh, Boba Fett and Fennec agreeing to help Din get Grogu back safely. Ooh, a lot happened in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And oh, and they go back to Navarro to get information on, I forget his name, but the prisoner from last season. Bilber, yeah. Yes. I feel like this episode was a case study in economy of storytelling because, holy crap, so much happened, and it didn't feel like the shortest episode of the season, in my opinion. I was like, we're cooking along, and there's still a lot happening, and a lot to happen, and I didn't feel like it was too short. I didn't think I didn't think so either. I thought it was a really good amount of time, and uh, this definitely was action-heavy, but I was really invested in the action, actually, action, actually, because... <laughs> I really liked Boba Fett's fighting style, and it was really different than what we're used to seeing in Star Wars with Jedi and lightsabers, and then also with someone like Din of blasters and kind of hand-to-hand combat. And I really enjoyed Boba Fett's fighting style, and so it it was really unique to me, and so it didn't feel like an action sequence that I'd seen before, or like a chase sequence too, you know? It, It really stood out to me. When I was watching this, especially with the Indiana Jones Boulder situation, I was thinking a lot about how physical violence in Raiders of the Lost Ark really helps make that uh, movie feel very real. And it's some of the best action in any movie ever, which is also obviously a Lucasfilm production. So I was thinking a lot about that and how uh, that it was was kind of reflective of each other. And I, I bet they were trying to kind of pull on those strings that were so brilliantly done by Steven Spielberg and George Lucas in that movie and I was thinking about it a lot and even the settings actually kind of feel a little similar Mm -hmm. and I I feel like 
because of that, I was able to respect the physical violence in this episode that it did keep me on my toes a lot because of just how brutal it was. Yeah, definitely. So should we talk about Boba Fett first? Yes, let's talk about Boba Fett. My gosh. Okay. Where do we start? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. So the the very fact that he's back, what do we think? You know, we knew, we we were pretty certain that he was coming back. Yeah. I I just I can't believe it that I liked it that we're here. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is is this is the best version of Boba Fett, I think. I I I will say this and perhaps it's controversial, but I prefer him without the armor. Same. <laughs> <I think. laughs> he was so cool, so cryptic. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> mhm. And I I love he I'm so glad they bought brought him back uh Tamara Morrison. I thought he did a great job. I love his accent. The way that he says Boba Fett, mm-hmm. it it sounds so much cooler than just Boba Fett. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I I think that he had this kind of great gravitas to the role and um, it also, while I was watching it, made me think of just how great the animated clones are because the resemblance between the animated clones and Tamara Morrison is just great. You mean in but, terms of looks? Yeah, 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 in terms of looks. Um, obviously, he did not voice the characters, which is a shame, but Dee Bradley Baker did, who did a great job too, but... The resemblance between the two, I think, is the best probably out of all of our live action to animation characters. If I were to do a one to one comparison mm-hmm. of them, especially like Hayden and Matt, I think they're or uh, Anakin in the Clone Wars. I think there's a little bit more of a disconnect between like their facial structures and Padme and Natalie Portman. I think is is a little off at times. Obi Wan is closer, I think, but I think that the clones are the best one-to-one and I find myself I found myself thinking a lot about them watching uh Boba Fett in this episode which I thought was really cool honestly totally I felt the same I feel like bringing back and we said this when it happened in episode one of season one I again I'm forgetting the chapter titles it's just not happening I I feel like what Boba represents in comparison to Din is really interesting and I'm I am glad that they brought him back. I'm just going to say it. I think this was really cool, and I really liked how it went. And I also think it was great that it wasn't like, we're here to take back my armor, and because of that, we're going to kill you to get it. And it was like, I'm going to get back my armor, and then I'm going to help you. It was a cool reversal of how I actually would have thought the story was going to go, because I think we think about Boba Fett being brutal, and he is a brutal warrior and or he was right and i think that that was displayed in this episode i mean hello (laughs) there's a lot going on okay but i i do think that it was nice to end this episode with a sort of alliance form between them i was excited by that and i think that's kind of cool i'm i'm kind of excited that now i get to explore an older boba fett who's returned from the underworld and He's just a simple man trying to make his way in the galaxy, which is a different uh, thing that than Django says. Django says universe, which I actually think it was kind of bugged for me. I'm not going to lie, but I, I, it's it's kind of nice that he he said that. And yeah. I find myself wondering what Boba Fett is going to represent in terms of Din as like a, a foil. Is he a foil? Is he uh, someone that he can 
you know, is he really similar to? Could it be both? And what do you think Boba is going to bring to the table now that he has an alliance with Din? Din at this point is kind of, I think now we're in the big shot gangster putting together a crew stage of the season. And we've got Fennec, we've got Boba, we're going to go get Bill Burr. Um, <laughs> Bo-Katan might show up again. Grief will probably be there. They're all going to go and rescue Grogu, I think is what's going to happen. And so what does that mean for Boba Fett's position in all of this? And I think this whole thing, we, we talked about when Bo-Katan showed up, that it was about being this first real representation to Din that there is another way to be a Mandalorian and that things are not quite as he thought they were. And then paralleled with that, we had Ahsoka kind of representing Jedi history for Grogu. Mm -hmm. And now I think Boba Fett right now is going to be like another representation of Mandalorian culture, Mandalorian history, what it is to be Mandalorian with out the helmet on all the time. I think it's going to be really interesting. What I liked about Boba, and if we're comparing like Mandalorians here, like Boba Fett compared with Bo-Katan, Boba Fett definitely fell more in line with that really um, hard stance on honor, which mm-hmm. uh, Bo-Katan didn't really have that same, uh, I don't know what the word is, but she wasn't as strong on this, you know, it's my honor as a Mandalorian to do this for you. Whereas Boba Fett kind of drove that home, which I think Din really relates to that, to that kind of honor. It's literally we've been talking about it all season, how when in doubt, Din will go with honor. <laughs> <laughs> Even yep. at the end of the Jedi when he was like with Ahsoka, when he's like, I, <laughs> I told them I was going to, they wanted me to kill you. But don't worry, like I didn't make the deal. Like I crossed my fingers behind my back. I didn't actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> or else I would have to kill you. <laughs> and then at the end when he was like, well, I didn't kill you, so I can't take the Beskar staff. And Ahsoka is like, are we serious here? <laughs> <laughs> and this whole thing with the armor and uh, Boba Fett. Boba Fett had to prove that he was a Mandalorian, a true Mandalorian, or else Din was never going to be okay with him having that armor. And I think it's cool that Boba was like, yeah, here's here's my history. We got a Django Fett reference. That was great. And I think that seeing Boba, who maybe Din has more not more respect for, but I guess feels more similar to Boba than Bo-Katan perhaps, might go a long way in him seeing this new path of being a Mandalorian or another example of what it is to be a Mandalorian. I don't know. And we, of course, have the whole connection with the Jedi. We also can't forget that young Boba Fett, played by Daniel Logan, throughout the Clone Wars, who played him in Attack of the Clones, and then also um, throughout the Clone Wars and Rebels, was also getting into shenanigans with Jedi too. So we talked about this in the first episode of there's, there's a lot of history that Boba brings to the table, both in terms of the Jedi and the Mandalorians, as did Bo-Katan. There's just a lot of people with a lot of knowledge, and Din has <laughs> very little of it. <laughs> yeah. I think that you are kind of missing a little bit of a point about the fact that Boba is not only a Mandalorian, but also a bounty hunter and like the premier bounty hunter. So yeah. Bo-Katan sort of represented this, you know, opposition to how 
cult-like Din's upbringing was and how he actually could, you know, take off his helmet and not necessarily follow this creed that is so rigid and intense and everything. I think that also Boba Fett represents, he's probably the most similar to Din in this way because he is both a Mandalorian, he's a foundling or like a son of a foundling, right? He is trying to embody what his father did before him. So there's always this, this, which is so Star Wars, right? This understanding of the father-son relationship. And I think that's honestly why the Jango Fett and Boba Fett relationship actually even exists to begin with, because George wanted to put that sort of father-son relationship into the prequels so that when Boba comes back around, you know, it's this overall theme that's in Star Wars, the father-son relationship. I guess what I mean is that the the bounty hunter aspect of Din's life hasn't necessarily been addressed, right? I think that in the last episode, when they were on uh, in the city of Caledon, right, the, the, the magistrate was like, oh, are you a part of the bounty hunter? Are you in the guild? And he was like, the last I checked, yeah. But, you know, honestly, that hasn't really been brought up at all throughout mm-hmm. season two, this whole idea about how he was part of the Bounty Hunter Guild when it was a huge part of season one. So not only is Boba Fett a foil or like a reflection, honestly, of Din as a Mandalorian and how he can live his life as a foundling or someone with like a foundling past with the Mandalorians, but also he's a bounty hunter and like the baddest of the galaxy, right? So <laughs> how did they play with each other? It's really interesting or play against each other, right? And what can they learn from each other? Part of me is hesitant to say that Boba can like represent a future for Din. Like here's what he can do he doesn't he can just be a simple man trying to make his way in the galaxy like he says like maybe that's what din wants but personally i think that if we could pivot the conversation a little bit to like who din is at this point i think that it needs to be brought up because throughout the season i think that the mandalorian is told from din's point of view i think that's one of the reasons why we didn't get to see grogu on the seeing stone and what he was experiencing that experiencing in that moment and that's why we're really left in the dark with a lot of history when it comes to like what you were just saying about how Boba knows so much, Bo-Katan knows so much, Ahsoka knows so much, but really all we're learning is what Din needs in this moment. When in actuality, as an audience, we know that Din needs actually so much more to understand the complexities of the Jedi and everything that kind of comes with that, right? So I think it's necessary to ask who Din is is at this point. Like, is he a dad? <laughs> yes. Is he a lone bounty hunter? Well, not really, but neither is Boba Fett at this point, right? I think that Boba Fett has always talked about how he was a like a lone like the archetype for him is a lone bounty hunter right he's you know will do whatever he needs to do to to get the bounty to work with the empire to be awesome and i think that din was like that at some point too right <laughs> i mean he was brutal in the beginning but now he's not a lone bounty hunter he has a child with him so i guess he has a dad is he a mandalorian yes but is he a Mandalorian that adheres to the creed? All of these things are brought into question. There's all these different like personality facets that are kind of at odds with each other. And how can he be a Mandalorian, a dad, a bounty hunter, and still maintain and like grow and change? And like, <laughs> what is the end goal for Din? I think that all these characters entering the space kind of challenge all of these different personality facets. I guess my question would be, does Din consider himself a dad? Because I don't think he does right now. Not right now. But I think that maybe... This first scene in this episode was like the most dad action that ever happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that this entire season we've been seeing way more Din and Grogu 
intimacy than we ever have been before. Even now in this episode, Din has talked so much to Grogu. Like in the beginning, he's, you know, it's like a dad in the front seat and a child in the back seat in the car seat being like, you're going to be really good. Okay. This is what we're going to do. And this is why we're doing it. And you have Grogu staring down at his hands with the ball, which we talked about last time, like symbolizes his connection to Din, you know, this father son connection that is there. And I think Din really values, but can he put a name to it? Can he, at what point is it just another job of like, I promise that I would return you to the people of the Jedi to where you come from? And I think that it was in, in that first scene when Din is talking to Grogu, it's almost like he's convincing himself. Mm-hmm. That this is what we're going to do and you're going to be good, right? And this is what's going to happen. And you're going to do this. You're going to use the force and all these things. And Grogu, you can't really tell what's on his face at that point. Is he like, okay, well, I don't know. I don't want to leave you. I mean, Ahsoka in the last episode goes, you know, he thinks of you like a father. And I mean, it's heartbreaking. But I think that maybe we will get a f- like fully defined the relationship at the end of the season where Din and Grogu, like their bond is solidified. And personally, I think that bond being solidified is going to happen by Din taking off his helmet in front of Grogu. I think that we've seen that like even be hinted at with the drinking of the soup a couple episodes back, which is so cute underneath the helmet. At what point will, when they're reunited, what will that even look like? Like what's the, what's the next step for them? And I know I'm like monologuing, I'm sorry, but I kind of want to talk a little bit more about... (laughs) the fact that like at this point in the story in terms of the hero's journey i think we're at this point called the ordeal which right after this and i'll talk about the a little bit later but after this is the reward so if right at this point you know the tragedy of this all is that din and grogu are separated but what happens after when they are reunited i mean hopefully that happens right (laughs) i can't imagine like the whole season without din and grogu again i'm gonna be really sad but someday when they (laughs) i know (laughs) but uh someday when they are reunited like what's the reward for both din grogu and the audience is it just the fact that they're together and they get to go off and do do adventures again you know be awesome and you know fight crime together like yeah that would be cool but at the same time what about the audience like are we just rewarded because we're thrilled that they're back together or like for all of these characters is the is the answer going to be din you know, taking off the mask, like physically and metaphorically in front of Grogu to let him into his life. And I I feel like that's going to happen. I really want that to happen. But we haven't seen this. We haven't seen Pedro Pascal's face this entire season. And I miss it. Hello. (laughs) I, I just feel like that to me will be the, the crowning reward for whatever happens after this grand ordeal. Yeah. I mean, we didn't see it last season until the very end, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in the beginning, that opening scene, I think you're right. It's about Din convincing himself that this is the right path. And I think that, like I said, I don't think he would call himself like Grogu's father. You know, I think he is still very committed to the mission of delivering Grogu to the Jedi. But in the beginning when he says, we're going to find where you belong, that's such a Star Wars thing. And it was something that we talked a lot about in regards to the sequel trilogy of a sense of belonging. And that didn't turn out exactly how I think we thought it would or really fulfill that 
theme in the end. But I do think that that – I think that's like what every story in Star Wars is telling is about a sense of belonging and where do you belong? Who do you belong with? Do you have a title attached to that? What does it mean to be attached to that title? And I think that this is something that this is this is part of the reward is yes, seeing uh, Din without his helmet on, letting like Grogu is worth it to break the creed. Essentially, mm-hmm. is what I think it will come down to, even if it's not in a combat rescue situation. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's at the very end of our of our story of our series of him taking off the helmet and they walk into the proverbial sunset together (laughs) off to go on missions. And we don't actually ever see that reveal or we just see it through Grogu's eyes Um, because it is for Grogu. It maybe isn't for us, you know, but I think that that line in the beginning of we're going to find where you belong is to Grogu. And it's also to Din because we are getting all of these people now who are telling him more or less, these different stories of the galaxy, of what it is to be a Mandalorian, what it is to be a Jedi. And some of these questions he's getting less answers to and some he's getting more to. And so I think that he's also going to find his belonging at the end of this. And what is his title going to be at the end of the series? Is it going to be Mandalorian? Is it going to be father? compatriots, a combination of all of these things, which I think would be really great because I think the sometimes the risk in Star Wars is we're very used to labeling characters by their title of Jedi, Sith, Dark Side, um, Bounty Hunter, Farmer. You know, it's it's like that is the the definition of them. And it's cool when we have, when we do have people like Bo-Katan and Ahsoka and Boba Fett who have all kind of shifted through different quote-unquote titles in their life from, you know, uh, terrorist with Bo-Katan to, um, you know, leader of the Mandalorians and now to, I don't even know what you would call her now, but a renegade. Leader of the Night Owls, I Yeah, guess. leader of the Night Owls, I guess. We have Ahsoka, of course, who goes from Padawan to Jedi to Fulcrum to daughter in some instances you know uh and then we have boba fett who of course is son clone bounty hunter abandoned orphan like we have all of these things and they've transitioned through all of them and they're they kind of stand out i think in that regard so i think they're good people when we're talking about like the value of these cameos of these big name characters, I think that is a value for all of them and what they're able to show Din of you don't have to be just one thing in this galaxy and your belonging keeps pointing you towards Grogu and his as well. So maybe you're not a Jedi, maybe you're not a force user, but that doesn't mean that you're not important or necessary to Grogu to grow up to become a good Grogu. <laughs> a good Grogu. A good Grogu. <laughs> I think there is real nuance happening in the story, and I feel like on the surface might not seem like it, but I swear there's a long game happening here where it comes to where it will come down to you will like I think you're so right about the label situation about like we're so quick to put people into these archetypes and archetypes specific to Star Wars and I feel like with so many of honestly Dave Filoni's stories those archetypes have been broken down 
and you can be all these different types of things. You don't have you can check a bunch of different boxes, not just one box. And I do think we're at the slow unpacking of what does it mean to be raised in and I, I'm serious here, a cult of with with Din and his uh his Mandalorian past and who he is and kind of like unlearning all those things and like how can he exist in the real world now that he's like separated from it. And also with Grogu, it may be in a less lesser sense with the Jedi and like being raised in the Jedi Temple and all the baggage that comes with that. And um, I think that both of these characters have experienced a sense of rigidity in their life. And how do they kind of merge those things and be a family together, a clan of two that's separate from everything that came before? I do feel like we're leading up to that point and it might feel like a slow crawl, but I do think that we need to be patient for these things and having these characters come into the story that all represent all these different types of viewpoints and paths, I think only helps this conversation about like understanding the nuance of being a quote Mandalorian, being a quote Jedi, and how in this time period where everything is being rewritten after Return of the Jedi and everything, well, also the time period, everything is being rewritten, but also everything is coming back, but like yeah. it's coming back anew and more modern. So how how do Din and Grogu even fit into that? And I think that we'll, we're definitely exploring that. If we're thinking about the cyclical nature of it all, right, the poetry, it rhymes, the fractals of it, it's kind of interesting to think about if we have these people like Din and Grogu who don't really fall into the category of Mandalorian or Jedi, if they – and we have the Empire – which is disintegrated, uh, is what a lot of people assume at this point in the story or in the galaxy's history. But if all of these things are cycling back, though, if the Empire will rise again as the First Order, and if Grogu will become a new kind of Jedi, Din a new kind of Mandalorian, we've already talked about the potential of liberating Mandalore in the Mandalorian TV show. So it actually, I kind of wonder too if if maybe they do take on those titles again at the end of this as everything is kind of being set into place for the First Order to rise. And mm -hmm. now we have a new Jedi, a new Mandalorian, and they do take on those titles, but they mean something different than they did originally. Uh, because we know the First Order looks very similar to the Empire. So I wonder if... I don't know if there's going to be kind of a parallel with our characters that we're seeing now, like if Boba Fett will cycle back to some version of a bounty hunter, if Bo-Katan will cycle back to some version of a leader of Mandalore. I think that's those are things, maybe not with Boba Fett, but like with Bo-Katan we're thinking about and speculating. And maybe that comes to be with Boba Fett too. I kind of wonder if he even is a bounty hunter at this point. I I think I assumed he wasn't, but that could be wrong. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think as we're seeing this next uh, turn of the clock with the politics of the galaxy, I wonder if we'll also see kind of a reset too with these characters and their titles. Yeah. I, I really wonder. And I even don't know if Grogu is going to walk the way of the Jedi. Yeah. And I still like am sort of hoping that he doesn't. But even if he doesn't, what does that choice even represent? And I think that those are things that Mandalorian, the, the show The Mandalorian has to answer. Because yeah. as an audience, I think that the general audience is very used to Jedi equals good. 
And so to have Grogu be like, nope, I'm not going to choose the Jedi, that would be an interesting choice and not one that would be out of the bounds of this type of storytelling. I mean, hello, we had Ahsoka choose to not rejoin the Jedi Order after, you know, they failed her. So I feel like something is going to have to happen where that choice will have to be really obvious for Grogu to say, no, I'm not going to leave. Um, I'm not going to leave my dad because I want to spend time with my dad. And I feel like that's going to have to like really hit us over the head. And we're going to really have to understand why he made that choice. At the same time, I'm as I'm saying that, I'm thinking if he made that choice, I feel like the general audience would be like, yeah, that's not a story we need to see because we want to spend more time with Grogu. And we want to see more adventures of Din and him. And if he could just use the Force and be a Mandalorian at the same time, that would be super cool. And I still kind of want that. But there's definitely a bunch of different options about like how can we redo the labels that we're so used to? And how can we redefine certain pieces of Star Wars lore that I feel like we are constantly revising when we revisit these stories? I think one of the reasons why you why storytellers in the Star Wars universe kind of return to these sort of archetypes and everything is like there has to be something else to say and if it's not going to be the same thing that was said before it has to scratch away at the surface of like why are you telling it again and I think that I wouldn't say The Mandalorian is necessarily a story that we've seen before um, just because we've never seen a story that's zero focused on a Mandalorian with like a Jedi baby. But I think that (laughs) we have seen a story of a father and son and the separation between father and son and like what that does to you. And I feel like there has to be some sort of balance about like revisiting this this story archetype and like how can we kind of uh, add to the greater mythos of Star Wars um, when looking into these type of character figures. Yeah, and I think as you were talking and you brought up a good point of Boba Fett and Jango Fett being this father-son relationship, which was kind of this background father-son relationship throughout the original saga, six films. And of course, we're seeing another version of that with with Din and Grogu. But I mean, it kind of while you were talking, it made me wonder of the scene, which I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, honestly, for all, much of our far-fetched speculation of what Boba could tell Din. Perhaps the only thing he'll tell Din is that the Jedi are the one that killed his father. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when Din is like, we have to save Grogu and then get him to the Jedi. And Boba is like, well. I hate the Jedi, so. <laughs> to be the bearer of bad news, but the Jedi are the ones that killed my father, a Mandalorian. Yeah. And what that will do to Din, or it would be interesting to see his response to it. And not only that, but the understanding that uh, Jango Fett now, this is a revision of, I guess, canon before, I had no idea, that Jango Fett was also a foundling for like Mandalorians, and the fact that he had himself cloned in order to preserve his bloodline if he was like one of the last of his clan, I think it adds another layer of the greater devotion of like how upsetting it was for Boba's father to die for Boba, and how that separation is like um, you know, a major point of trauma probably in Boba's life. So would he want to see that happen to his friend with like this baby Yoda son? You know, I, I don't think so. This actually hasn't really been brought up in season two now that I think about it. But the whole concept of foundlings, I think, was so prevalent in season one about how like the child was actually going to be a foundling, like in every other name but foundling. 
with the amount of times that we heard it, it was like, okay, well, you know, he is a foundling. And then the very end, the armorer calls him a foundling, I believe. Now that I'm, I'm kind yeah, of second no, guessing she, myself. She yeah. does. She has a very spe- uh, with Emily Sparrow. She has a very specific yeah. way. The foundling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the foundling. I love how she says it. Yeah, it's true. And I feel like if this whole idea of like the separation between the foundling and the Mandalorian father, like I know that the armor said for him to do that, but at the same time, like what's the point? What's the purpose? Well, if if the Mandalorian, the thing is, is Din now would say that's my that's my deal, that's my cause. I have to see this through to the end for honor, mm-hmm. <laughs> is to deliver the foundling to the enemy sorcerers, but. If he realizes that his cult isn't actually the true way, right. then is he still bound by that anymore? Also, like, does he now think that, does he think of Ahsoka as an enemy sorcerer? No, they work together. Things are changing. Things are progressing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, there's been a great debate about how, you know, Ahsoka was called, like, the episode was called the Jedi, and, like, Ahsoka's not necessarily a Jedi, but at the same time, like, the enemy sorcerer is an enemy sorcerer. Like she was a sorcerer. <laughs> and um, I think that it's at the end of it, they're, they're friends. And in this episode, she, he didn't even refer to Ahsoka as the that nice, nice lady. lady. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> it, it felt so Southern to yeah. me. <laughs> Do what the, the nice, nice lady says. <laughs> Do what the nice lady says. It felt very parental. Yeah. It was, it was funny. And then he referred to her by her name later on in the episode. Uh-huh. Ahsoka said I had to put you on the seeing stone. Are you seeing anything? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was great. I think you said that this mo- this show had a comedic tone to it. And I think it totally did. And I, I think that it was purposeful. I mean, Robert Rodriguez, he made Bring It On also and like Spy Kids. And th- those movies are, you know, really good. But they're they're like comedies also underneath things like action and like cheer drama, cheer cheerocracy, cheerocracy. <laughs> Where's your cheer stick? Yeah, yeah, they spirit are stick, right spirit stick. Spirit stick. Sorry, <laughs> it's been a while since I watched them. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and even just <laughs> Din, the the shot where I think it was the second time he was knocked out by Grogu's force field thing. Uh, the shot when we come back to him and he wakes up, it's even like angled so that his cape is like over his head and he just kind of sits up and like we're <laughs> looking at him from behind. So it's just a weird <laughs> way to watch him get back up and like readjust his cape. It's so funny. In the middle <laughs> of all the action, he's like, oh, I'm up, I'm up. Well, there's a lot of like Another comedic part that probably wasn't over the head comedic, but there was a lot in the fact that, you know, like the metatextual of it all, where the fact that the the opening shot says the tragedy and then, you know, we see Din making all these mistakes from putting down the the jetpack you, you you know when they zeroed in on that jetpack when you put it down you're like he's not gonna get that again it's gone it's he's gonna forget it and then there was just a bunch of different mistakes where he was like trying to go into the force field and then being you know pushed out like you said where he's getting knocked out and tumbling all around it was like what is happening he's making so many mistakes this is not good he never makes mistakes you know <laughs> it was rough it was super rough. 
It was rough, man. I think we haven't even gone uh, mentioned in this episode, but Fennec returning. I know. Finally. So great. So glad. So glad. I love her. And she's so cool. And I love her robotic middle. How cool is that? That was so cool. The thing about this episode is that throughout all of these different, you can call them cameos, but like characters coming in and out of these episodes, I keep asking myself like, okay, which of these do I want to see in multiple episodes with Din and like only Din on an, on a journey? And I think I would say all of them basically. But at the same time, this was the first time I was like, wow, I really love this crew. I love Boba. I love Fennec and I love Din. And I think that they're together. It was just funny. I was like, this is great. <laughs> I, I, I feel like they have a lot of chemistry in terms of trios. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, I love her outfit. Her, she had very much like Zam Wessel vibes if we're talking about Attack of the Clones. Uh, she definitely gave off a Zam Wessel vibe to yeah. me, even with her helmet. I loved how it was orange. I love the red thread in her hair, in her braids, I thought were so cool. Just her, she's awesome. <laughs> so great. And I'm just really happy that she came back because that was an unfortunate end to that one episode. And yeah. I know that there were so many of us who were like kind of crossing our fingers that she, you know Ming-Na Wen was going to be back and she was which is great and I feel like it was a long wait and I wish that we didn't have to have that sort of wait maybe it but the suspense was there I don't know I go back and forth about it well and now now she's going to be in the last presumably at least in the next episode but probably the last one too I think it's interesting that she has a debt uh that she's like indebted to Boba and like that maybe will never go away? Like, what do you think? Well, I mean, we have, like, Chewbacca with his life dead to Han. That's kind of That's what I true. thought of. Yeah. But I didn't know if I thought I, – I wonder if there are terms set to it because <laughs> I, as a bounty hunter, I don't think of Fennec as super honorable. She doesn't have the same kind of Mandalorian creed that Din and Boba do. Right. <laughs> she was just kind of standing there at the end when – Bubba was like, no, we'll help you. Then was like, you don't have to. And he's like, no, we will. It's our honor. This sort of brings me to a point that I wanted to bring up about like asking what type of archetype Boba fits in, in terms of the hero's journey. And I would say, like, I was thinking a lot about this because I think it's really hard to say at this point, but I do kind of think this, this season has been a season of Din meeting shapeshifters. We talked about the shapeshifter archetype in when it came to Frog Lady, which looking back, I'm like, I don't know if Frog Lady was ever a shapeshifter, but <laughs> I still kind of stand by that analysis because I still don't think we were sure, especially in that second episode. But I think that when it comes to like the shapeshifter archetype, you just never know who they're going to be for the main character, for the main hero. Are they going to be a mentor figure? Are they going to be a trickster and betray them? And I think this is the whole thing about like who bounty hunters encounter because at this point it's like you just really don't know if you can fully trust Boba Fett like I want to fully trust Boba Fett and I want to fully trust Fennec but at the same time I'm not naive to the fact that these people in Star Wars have historically been the bad guys so you never know <laughs> you know it's like the the top price um gets Boba Fett so I feel like it's in terms of loyalty <laughs> like I do think that they're going to help protect the child but what happens when maybe Gideon or someone you know the bounty is on well when when the deal is over yeah what happens when the deal is over and like you know there's like a hundred thousand credit reward on the child and now Boba Fett knows 
dins like every whereabouts. Like, what do we think about that? You know, and I think that there's an opportunity that all these people like might turn on him. You just never know. Grief was a shapeshifter figure now. Now he's sort of mentor friend figure. But in the beginning of the the show, you know, you really did not understand his allegiances. And it proved to be problematic, especially in the episode The Sin, where he really pursued Din and the child. So I do think that this season is just like filled with shapeshifters of like you never know who they're going to be to Din. Yeah, I think that we were talking about this earlier about the possibility of Boba turning into a trickster later on. But now that we're talking about it, I'm not so sure because – or at least not about Grogu because Boba knows how much Grogu is worth. Fennec has probably told him, you know. But I do wonder if – like would that go against his honor to return Grogu to Din and then take him back right away? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, it probably would. But he's also a bounty hunter. He was. He was. Zam Wessel. Oh, I mean, that was Django. But Django like immediately killed Zam Wessel when, you know, his his uh, informant was almost revealed, you know? The thing is, is that someone along the line helped Boba Fett after the events of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. You know, maybe he maybe he had an IG eleven moment. Do you really think someone helped him or do you think he got out of that? I, I think maybe I think he could have gotten out of it by himself, but I mean just looking at his head. And the the scars and, you know, it just – I feel like someone along the line had to help him. Um, he certainly could have done all of that himself, rescued himself, doctored, sewn his head back together himself, um, <laughs> recovered on his own. But I feel, I feel like perhaps he's had a change of heart and he <laughs> does what he needs to survive. Yeah. But maybe he's not in the game of – bounty hunting as we knew him anymore or maybe i i can almost see kind of comparing boba fett like daniel logan boba fett to this boba fett of he's seen so much more now when it's kind of like is any of this worth it mm-hmm. you know i saw what happened aligning myself with the empire working for the empire i saw what happened with the jedi it's almost like an- another side of the coin of mas Kanata of you see the same eyes and different people kind of mentality of like, what is the point of all of this? These things are just going to come back around. So I need to take care of my, I need to worry about myself and only myself. And I'm not here to be anyone's hero, but I'm also not here to be anyone's villain either. I think that's interesting because I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that, but I definitely think it's something to consider because here's why I'm not sure I agree with that because his costume when he doesn't put on the Boba Fett armor, which I'm just going to be real with you. I don't know if it really worked for me in the way that they wanted it to work for me. I really preferred the, like you said earlier, that you preferred the the armor off costume. I personally, like immediately when I saw his costume and when he like sulked around the rock with his helmet, with his hood up, I was like, okay, Boba Fett looks like the Grim Reaper. He looks like the personification of death. And to me, that makes perfect sense, considering this is a man who escaped the belly of the whale, you know? And now even like his gaffy stick, it kind of looked like a scythe to me. And I think that it's it's really interesting to consider that maybe Boba does embody like maybe just initially, like you said, the personification of death incarnate or like even afterlife himself. And 
that could also lead into what you were just saying about like he is asking like what is even worth it because he is now maybe the personification of afterlife like what happens next when nothing else before even mattered yeah well he's kind of living on borrowed time yeah it's it's interesting thinking about because yeah i think you're totally right like there it very easily could come about that he is still a bounty hunter will still take the better deal and could betray Din at the end of this. But the the way that he 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 was so clear in this episode of I'm here for the armor. Here's my proposition. Here's where I come from. I'm still gonna help you get the kid. Mm-hmm. It just it was so clear cut his intention and what he was after. It feels weird to then for him then to be a trickster later on which is i i realize is the whole point of the trickster trickster. (laughs) yes i'm I'm with all of you listening i get it (laughs) but you think about someone like dj from the last jedi who he was definitely a lot more slippery even when we first met him i think comparing the two is interesting because i think that i think that boba fett is in this kind of don't join I would imagine that he is in this don't don't join mentality. And it would be weird now that he sees the Empire back. And you can tell he's kind of freaked out about it at the end for him to suddenly take up the cause of being against the Empire. Like maybe he does turn into hero. <laughs> I think Boba Fett as this wanderer is interesting, especially given his reputation and history and fandom of this badass bounty hunter for this chapter of his life where I think he's been the coolest for him actually not to ascribe to that lifestyle anymore unless when pushed, when pressed, is kind of interesting. Totally. One thing I said that I was going to bring up before and I didn't (laughs) right away uh, was the question of where this fits in with the hero's journey. And I would say I think that this fits in with the concept of the ordeal in Christopher Vogler's The Writer's Journey, which is a pretty handy handbook, I've mentioned it before, for understanding the hero's journey in like modern storytelling and filmmaking versus like the overly complicated Joseph Campbell. It it's it's been really helpful to be honest. And if you're interested in ever looking at something that's a little more simple than, you know, the stream of consciousness narrative that Joseph Campbell presents, then I definitely recommend this book. But basically I do think that this this part is the ordeal. And here's the quote from the book. The ordeal is the black moment for the audience where we are held in suspense and tension, not knowing if he will live or die. The hero, like Jonah, is in the belly of the beast. The ordeal is a critical moment in which the hero must die or appear to die so that she can be born again. It's a major source of magic in the heroic myth. What happens, in the he- what happens to the hero happens to us. We are encouraged to, in- to experience the brink of death moment with her. Our emotions are temporarily depressed so they can be revived by the hero's return up from death. The result of this revival is a feeling of elation and exhilaration. So, end quote. I personally think that the ordeal is going to be like for the next three episodes and then hopefully <laughs> we get to a reward because, yes, obviously we felt major sense of tension throughout this entire episode. And then eventually I hope we will get this reward. That's what I was mentioning before about I hope the reward is like the removal of the helmet for both the audience and for Grogu to be sort of reunited and let in. But obviously the reward can take a bunch of different forms and we might not even get to see that this season because I think that Caitlin and I have both said that we think this is the 
darker middle chapter of <laughs> of Star Wars, uh, of The Mandalorian. And therefore, I was actually kind of surprised that this happened so quickly. Like, I honestly thought this was going to be the cliffhanger of the season finale. So seeing what happens next, like, we'll see if, you know, he's even uh, reunited with Din. But this is definitely the ordeal to the point where I'm actually surprised that the episode isn't called The Ordeal. There's still two more episodes left. Yeah, I know. So we'll see, right? Well, <laughs> as you were as you were talking about it, it just, you know, talking about dark dark side baby Yoda again. What if baby Yoda falls to the dark side? I mean, and that like, would be so crazy. I'm thinking I'm thinking cuz you were saying, sorry, I, I feel like that kind of came out of left field. But uh-huh. um <laughs> you'll see you think. <laughs> uh, but Expecting Baby Yoda to be kidnapped at the end of the season as the cliffhanger for the season, I think I expected that too. And so, but now I'm kind of thinking, okay, what if he's not actually rescued by the end of the season, and that's you know it is this three part ordeal. But also, what if Baby Yoda, in his time, like what is going to happen in his time with Gideon? We know he's going to be used as a donor for blood. For M count, but what if something darker happens to him? Like he is used as a weapon or something? Yeah. Which could definitely happen. Yeah. As we've seen throughout Hinted this entire time um, of like these super weapons that combine different types of technology and maybe the force. Like who knows? The dark troopers that we see in this episode that are very Transformer, very Iron Man, very Darth Vader looking. Yeah, so, and, and even thinking about um, Boba and the clones and mm-hmm. Echo in yes. season seven being used, being brainwashed. Yeah. I, I wonder if something like that happens to Grogu and it becomes not just a physical rescue, but an emotional, uh, yeah. like, mo- I don't want to say moral one, but like bringing him back from that too. Yeah, that would be so interesting. Yeah. That's, I think that. My point is, is that I don't know if we're that close to the reward um, of the next the next stage, some might say. But yeah. I, I think that we are experiencing this like heightened tension, this ordeal. And who knows what that may bring. I, I just it could be really prolonged. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I think it will be. I think right now I would anticipate the Mandalorian to be four seasons long. Yeah, me too. And so... This it's weird not... how that's how it's existed in my brain, too. Like, yeah. oh, the four seasons of The Mandalorian. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it could be three, you know? Oh, my God. Who knows? It could be five. I yeah. I would be surprised if it was longer than that. I think four feels good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just – if it is four, then there's going to be another big ordeal. Or maybe yeah. if Grogu is lost, then – it would be weird to think that a good portion of next season could be spent still trying to get Grogu. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It, it's it's the cyclical nature of storytelling. Like, this, still getting to get Grogu is, like, a lot of the first season. Yeah. And dealing with him and trying to figure out, you know, being on the run with him and everything. And now this season is really about finding a place of belonging for Grogu. And maybe next season is, like, we return to that point of trying to get Grogu, but it's from a different lens and a different angle of Din trying to reunite with his son. Dark side baby Grogu. <laughs> That's a hot theory. I don't know, Caitlin, but it it could it could happen. He killed two stormtroopers at the end of the season episode. But wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I'm just saying. 
he killed two stormtroopers at the end of the episode. And he's had a lot of dark side moments. Like, a lot of sketchy stuff has happened <laughs> even in this season. He's been a little so. sus. He's been a little sus. He has. Just he has. here and there. Okay, let's talk about – I can't believe we're, like, an hour into this and we haven't really talked about, like, Grogu's weird force situation. Okay, so – I think we were all a little disappointed that we didn't get to see a lot of what was happening on that stone, but I still think it was really cool, and I understand why we didn't. Do we think this was another world between worlds situation? I don't know if I do. What do you think was happening? I don't think – that's the thing about the world between worlds, is that the world between worlds is slippery, and I don't think it necessarily presents itself the same way twice. And so I think what he was doing is just tied into this greater cosmic force connection, which is the world between worlds too, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think that he was, you know, in the same place that we saw Ezra. I don't know if we'll ever be back in the same place that we saw Ezra. I, I don't think it, we will either. Yeah. So I think it's weird talking about these things or even like with Ben in Tross of, of talking about like the world between worlds coming into play, which I know is something we talked a lot about last year. It's been a year. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that – I don't think that this is what Din is doing or what Grogu is doing necessarily. I think he's tapping into this like very concentrated – Someone in our Discord called it the Skype Stone, and I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> um, he's he's dialed into the Skype Stone. I don't know if he's necessarily seeing anything at that juncture or if he is physically talking to someone through feelings or anything like that. I just don't know. And the whole other question, too, is did anyone answer? Is anyone coming to Tython? Who? <laughs> Because Ahsoka was kind of ambiguous at the end, right? Last time yeah. she said, or like, was there even a chance? Because he got snatched when he well, opened he, his eyes. He broke the connection. He he finished whatever he was doing. He ended it. Yeah. So he felt like he came to some conclusion. And the thing is, too, is we're talking about Grogu. Like, it's pretty clear that Grogu understands his attachment to Din. So would he have reached out and said, "Never mind, I'm fine." <laughs> and then gets snatched and is like wait can I take that back (laughs) (laughs) I think what you're getting at and not really defining is the fact that Dave Filoni has talked about when it comes to the world between worlds is that that was something that Ezra had actually accessed before and it wasn't necessarily the world between worlds then but you're right like a connection to the cosmic force and it was a way like the sky the four skype zone or something and this is the same sort of cosmic force that was used by Rey and Kylo to communicate and it was you know this force magic and i think that you're probably right in saying that this isn't the world between worlds that we saw in rebels but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not the same concept which is connecting across space and time to another force user and i actually think that's exactly what was happening right or yeah. Because that's that is like the definition of what the world between worlds exists as, and yeah, I don't think we're gonna see it looking the same as it was so magically in Rebels. But you know, when Ezra was able to talk to uh, Yoda through the Force in the early seasons of Rebels, I feel like that you know, Davis talked about how that was a, a moment of. Ezra even tapping into the world between worlds, perhaps on like a 10% level (laughs) versus like 100%. And like, maybe this is another example of that happening with Grogu. And who knows, maybe he was conversing with some force ghosts during that time. And we don't even know because we won't see. But someday, I think we'll find out what happened here. 
And I think it's interesting that they didn't tell us that this was completely from the rushed panic point of view of Din. And to me, the whole episode, that real that tone really came through about, wow, this is really bad happening here. So we can't really have this like mystical experience happening at the same time because we're we're against the clock here. Like ships keep coming in. <laughs> and I I think that it's interesting to like talk this out because it's been a while since you and I have done this about like talking about you know, the mystical aspect of the force and everything. And I I actually really like this portrayal because it didn't give too much away. And it leaves us to the imagination of wonder what happened there. Like maybe he didn't talk to someone, maybe he did. We don't we don't know. And like maybe when um when this whole like big shot gangster putting together a crew situation happens and they put together a crew to save the child, you have to wonder if like Someone else is also going to say, come to save the child because uh, Grogu made that connection here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was honestly surprised that we got this in this episode. I was anticipating the stone not working, honestly. Really? Yeah, I was. Or Grogu not uh, being able to activate it or choosing not to activate it. I was really mm-hmm. surprised that they just went, bam, weird force stuff. Here it is. Yeah. Now yeah. let's go fight some stormtroopers. Um, it was cool to see it happening at the same time. The rebel situation, I think, is the most similar of this whole kind of battle happening while Ezra is inside the world between worlds. But this one felt more high stakes to a certain degree because yeah. Grogu is still there. Um, yeah, I wonder – it makes you wonder who got his his calling because – the way that Ahsoka described it is basically like he was calling out in the force and she said, another Jedi may hear him and maybe they'll come looking for him. <laughs> Who's but yeah, come looking for him. It doesn't necessarily mean they'll come to Tython. It, it could mean they could come anywhere. Yeah. Well, if a Jedi is powerful enough to hear Grogu calling out through through the force, it's almost like picking up on a sense, like, like an animal. It's mm-hmm. like I'm sure they could find him then once they know that he's out there. I just want to note that last episode we talked a lot about Lone Wolf and Cub and Grogu making the choice between the Jedi and the Mandalorian and like how we would maybe get to see that choice happening. I feel like that could still happen because we didn't see any sort of choice even being made. I think that we thought that was going to happen here because of this mystical like aspect of it all, but maybe it doesn't have to happen here at all because even the mystical aspect of it makes it seem more Jedi than ever. So when will Grogu make his choice? I feel like that's when we're going to see some sort of parallel to Lone Wolf and Cub, if at all. I think like another Force user will have to actually offer to take Grogu and Grogu will say no. Yeah. But yeah, I think thinking about Lone Wolf and Cub with the ball and the sword scene and how we didn't necessarily see that this episode – which I still kind of think we might see an exact parallel to that scene from Lone Wolf and Cub just because it's such an influence and we've seen them do kind of one-to-one yeah. uh, lifts from other films and that seems like a really important one. And I still like I still want to see a very <laughs> clear comparison <laughs> Me too. to Grogu choosing – and that's the thing too, the sword and the ball and we have the ball um, with Jen. So I want to see him pick it, take it in a, in a similar setup. But the one thing I kept thinking about, and we've talked about this a number of times throughout this season, about this darkness in Grogu and that dark side of the Force and how there is this 
um, merit in the Jedi in that sense of you can't just leave these children out there with these powerful, with really strong powers and not like there's a lot of potential for violence there too. So mm-hmm. there's that weird other side because we talk a lot about uh, critiquing the Jedi as far as taking children from their homes which is, of course, not great, but there's also this other side of it, too, of this power that they have. And we see we see that with Grogu a number of times throughout the seasons. And we saw that in this episode on full-on display at the end of it where he is cho- force-choking these stormtroopers to the point where they die or pass out. And I was really surprised to see him do that. And I liked it because I... <laughs> I well, I I think it's like this is this is why Grogu needs training because he is a child because he doesn't uh, always understand what he's doing and he like he didn't with Kara last season, but now he's very aware what he's doing. Um, he it's pretty clear that he knows that he is backed into a corner and uh, what's the option here that he has? He's scared. He's alone. Din is not there. Um, so seeing him kind of whip out some really powerful stuff out of nowhere was fascinating to say the least. And I had this thought at the end when Gideon, which I was so glad to finally have some screen time with Gideon, when he pulls out the dark saber, number one, I was like, that's very close to Grogu's face. So <laughs> take a couple steps back, Gideon. Thank you. <laughs> but when he says, Do you recognize this? And I was like, does baby Yoda recognize the dark saber? Oh, I I didn't even think about that. I thought just like lightsaber. No, he said, I forget what he said exactly, but he definitely felt like he, I mean, I guess he could have been saying lightsaber, but it felt like he was talking about the darksaber specifically. But it made, it's made me wonder a lot about Grogu's age. And we know that he, I can't remember if I said this last week, but about Ahsoka saying his memory goes spotty, basically after the events of Order 66, I think is what most people are assuming and myself too. But I wondered if he was – we know he's about 50 years old. I wondered if he was about 50 years old in the events of Order 66 and he was put into some kind of hibernation, almost like carbon freeze in his pod at some point. And then now he's woken up to this completely new world. Mm. I don't know if that's true. That's kind of just a theory right now. So he could have been – he could be much older than we think he is or like he was He was there around before Phantom Menace time. Or he recognizes the Darksaber because whenever they had him or he was stolen after, um, like whenever someone took him from the temple and after Order 66, like maybe it was Gideon, maybe it was someone Mm -hmm. else. Maybe he knew about that. I think there's definitely a lot of different possibilities besides like carbon freezing or anything. I think that it's pretty clear that the story makes it pretty clear that he is 50 years old, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't have been like put into a state somehow after order 66. I I think that that's actually probably what happened. If not some like major traumatic stuff happened that he has blocked out. I'm sad. I know me too. Every time I think about that, I get really upset Yeah, because it's sad. Yeah. And I think that someday we'll learn. I think it's interesting to consider that maybe he's recognized the Darksaber and maybe he's spent a, a short amount of time with Gideon. Like, who knows? Because we still don't really know anything about Gideon's past. Or maybe he understands that the Darksaber is something that, 
maybe he understands the dark saber. Like, I don't know. But also I think that to think about him, like being attracted to the sword and like thinking about the sword a lot. Right. I think that that is another example of perhaps like him being lured by it and like wanting to touch it and then Gideon being like, no, not yet. Like, nope, no. Yeah. I think maybe it's like foreshadowing a little bit of him choosing the sword, AKA the Jedi, but then also at this moment, Din even recovered the ball, which is the connection, you know, between Din and and Grogu yeah. from the wreckage of the Razor Crest. Oh my God, we didn't even talk about the fact that the Razor Crest is blown up. Oh my God. In this episode. But anyway, I do feel like <laughs> his separation from Din at this point, now he's like thinking, okay, you know, maybe this foreshadowing bit about like if as long as he's separated from Din, maybe he will choose to go back to the ways of the Force by being lured by the the Darksaber or the moment Din enters his life again with, you know, holding this symbolic evidence of their connection, the the cute little ball, maybe he will choose that side as well. Who knows? But anyway, the, the razor crest blowing up, man, their cozy home is destroyed. <laughs> Shocking. I know. I Truly. was like, oh my God, the toy sets, they're gone. <laughs> Everyone on Twitter was like, I just bought the Lego set. <laughs> Will there be a Razor Crest 2? <laughs> it's funny because this whole season we've been talking about how is the Razor Crest still functioning? <laughs> I know. And it's like, the, finally, oh, my God. But I think that it, symbolically, I mean, if that was their nest, now their nest is gone. You know, they have no, it's not, there's no home. Where's the home to come back to? They've been separated. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think, you know, thinking one thing I love about The Mandalorian is the titles of the episodes. And I feel like we talked about them a lot in more detail last season than we have this season. But the two times that Mandalorian and uh, Grogu have been forcibly separated, not just like on a mission kind of situation, like when he was babysat by Frog Lady and Frogman, were Chapter 3, The Sin, and now what is this, Chapter 16, I think, Chapter 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, the tragedy. And I love the comparison of the two names because the sin is when Din gave him up, gave him back, um, fulfilled the – I think we're forgetting too when we're talking about like Din's armor or his uh, honor and stuff like that is that Din went against his creed to take Baby Yoda back in season one, which was a huge step, a huge thing because he was very committed to getting the baby – bringing him back to the client and, you know, wiping his hands of it, it's done. And that was the sin. And he chose a different path in the sin and then took on this new mission. But now a lot of time has passed and it is tragedy that they're separated now. And Din is kind of fully realizing that, I think, in the next couple of episodes. And I'm very sad about the Razor Crest. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Razor Crest. It, it's it's really gone. I know. It was like, it's disintegrated. <laughs> no disintegrations, Boba Fett. You know, it, it wasn't even him who did it. it was, it's gone. The only thing that remains is that that stick, spear, and the Beskar staff. Yeah, the Beskar staff. Thank you. That stick. That stick. <laughs> Din is highly offended that you said that. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if Din really cares that much about it. But he does. Beskar belongs to the Mandalorians. Of yeah, course he true. cares. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I 
it was really shocking that that the razor crest exploded like it's gone. oh my god that was oh go ahead but when he's going to re- if he rebuilds it he's gonna rebuild it with like a little room for grogo not just Aww. like a little like hammock it'll be like a specific spot for him oh that's cute I hope he remembers to put seatbelts in it too because he's not the best at that seatbelting Grogu in. Sometimes he has a seatbelt on. Sometimes he does not. <laughs> he needs like a, a booster seat situation. He does. That was the yeah. other funny thing when we were talking about like the weird comedic bits in this episode of when Boba shoots the two uh, Empire transports away and he shoots the first the, – the one that's on top and it falls to the other one and they both crash and Din goes – Good shot. He goes, I was aiming for the other one. <laughs> and I was I was thinking, I was like, strategically though, why? Because it worked out really nice <laughs> that you killed yeah. two birds one stone. <laughs> yep. Comedy. 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 Peak comedy. And then they're just watching Din dejectedly walking around in the the burn spot of where the razor <laughs> he's like i've spent Poor guy. so much money fixing that ship not to mention like you wonder if there was even money in the ship too yeah that's true and whoever was frozen in carbonite in there I don't- they're gone <laughs> bye <laughs> okay well I, do we have anything else to say about this episode did you like it i How did, did it, rank? it ranks it ranks good it ranks good i think i like it i think i like it Better than episode one. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I think this season has been stronger for me overall as far as the story and characters. So it's hard to rank them right now. Yeah, I understand. I think that when we look back on the season, just like looking back on season one, and it will be really clear which episodes are really strong. And also, I think this season overall will flow pretty well. Yeah, I think I think it definitely will too, especially because this is the beginning of our ending arc so yeah this is the setup for all of it okay well i think that is going to wrap up this episode i hope you guys enjoyed it and boba fett fans how are you (laughs) been a good week yes (laughs) and i get it now (laughs) i'm with you (laughs) um we really enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys did too. And uh, if you want to follow us online, you can follow us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our Facebook, our Instagram, all that good stuff. And if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, we would love it if you took a second to go and do that. It helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in being a part of our Patreon community and our Discord that I feel like we've referenced a lot this season of The Mandalorian because they have just been all over the place, and I mean that in a good way, um, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. Our reward tiers, as a note, are themed after Baby Yoda. So, well, Yoda in general. Yoda in general, yeah, with an emphasis on Baby Yoda. So, <laughs> a little incentive to go and look. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons Nath, Logan, Colin, Molly, Ashley, Nikki, Brendan, Emma, Sarah, John, Stephanie, and Tom. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.